Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. These words come from the ninth chapter of Zechariah as the Lord promises a future of healing and bounty to a nation wearing the chains of affliction and captivity. Not only do these words invoke comfort and promise, but they provide for us a powerful glimpse into God's economy. That is, an economy where the least are the greatest, the defeated are the conquerors, and those who wear the chains of imprisonment are actually prisoners of something much greater. They are bound with hope, with promise, and with joyful expectation. I'm Joshua Youssef, founder and president of Help the Persecuted. And I'm Will Carlisle, a songwriter and content creator in Atlanta, Georgia. In this podcast, a ministry of Help the Persecuted exists to give you a glimpse into the mighty works of God in places where we would least expect it and invite you into the mysterious yet beautiful story of redemption. Together, we're discovering how God doesn't let persecution and suffering get the last word. Despite all of our weaknesses, trials, and obstacles, we can rejoice knowing that we are prisoners of hope. All right. Well, today we have the privilege of listening to our interview with Salam and Samar. Um, Josh, you you mentioned to them that they're just two of your heroes, and um, they quickly became two of mine. the The conversation um, ran about like an hour, or really more than that, um, as we were sitting there, and it was so encouraging. Like they're just amazing people, and um, you, it's the type of people that you can just see how long and how deeply they've walked with the Lord just by the way they speak of him. And yeah. Yeah. You know, my, my team, I often say to my team, are we still, I ask the question, are we still heroes? And, and what mm. I mean is, is like, are we being courageous? Are we being bold? Are we, you know, are we playing it safe? Uh, or, or, you know, and, and, and I just think a lot of times our tendency is to want to play things safe and, uh, Salam and Samar have always been two people who have encouraged me in that not to play it safe, but to be bold and to be um, courageous mm. uh, for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. And so uh, I'm just really excited about this interview. Absolutely. All right. Well, without further ado, this is Salam and Samar. You know, I was a child, like I grew up in Lebanon and uh, then due to the civil war. I started having questions about the creator. Is he good? If he is good, why the wars are taking place? You know, I'm, my aunt got killed, my friend got killed, and uh, friends from both faith, Christians, Muslims, they got killed, and I have both friends from all religions around me. So the thing is like, if there's God, why is this? these things are happening? And I start to realize that uh, you know, the, it's it, the doing of a man, of mm. the man, not the doing of God. Mm. Killing, you know, uh, hating each other. It shouldn't be like this. The model that God created us on was perfect. You know, he doesn't create anything not perfect from the beginning. But when I have to leave the because of the war, you know, my father's job was uh, relocated to another Arab country. And I was uh, among 1,500 kids at school, and I'm the only one who's Christian and still not saved yet, you know, but Mm. struggling, you know, uh, 
about God, about faith, which is right. And this made it more difficult because the kids never were exposed before to anybody against their faith or like different than them. Yeah. I was not opposing them in anything because I don't know their faith, what they believe in. And uh, they were asking questions, asking me questions. I can remember some, you know, verses from the Bible uh, that I learned in the Sunday school, children's church in Lebanon. But uh, still, I don't have that faith. And uh, they wanted to humiliate me as much as they can. Mm. So they started doing like the sign of the cross in their fingers and spitting on it in front of me. And uh, that caused like kind of, why are they hating me? I don't, I don't have any hatred for them or I don't even know them yet. Uh, just because I'm different. So the idea was, if you're different, you're not accepted. And that was really uh, rough until, you know, I started making more relationship with the uh, students and many of them are really nice people and they started just to get to know me more. But this caused me to dig in my Bible more at that time. Mm. I was 12 years old and uh, then I studied the Bible. I studied the Quran, started mm. the comparison why those people are so many, while Christians in that country are very few. Uh, is Islam right? Is Christianity right? There should be a, one way to God, not so many ways. You know, it's like not all roads lead to Rome, as we say. Mm -hmm. But there should be that one way. God doesn't want to confuse people how to follow him. He wants to make it easy and simple. And uh, my journey started from there, you know, studying the Bible and... Uh, Lord put in my way a very faithful Christian and this guy came from Kuwait and uh, he was preparing for his wedding and he wanted to get married to my relative so I was helping him with preparation yeah and uh, on the wedding day it was Friday I remember and he told me uh, thank you at the end of the wedding for everything you did and I'll see you Sunday said you're going gonna go to your honeymoon he said, uh, no, but uh, the Lord comes first. So I go to church on Sunday. So I'm going to come and pick you up and take you with me. Wow. Of course, that struggle at that time, it's been six years I'm studying Quran and the Bible. Mm -hmm. So, and I need an answer that I want to follow God. I, I believe everybody has this kind of zeal to know the truth and to know the creator, to know the reason of the all reasons, you know, why we are here. Mm -hmm. And I was very faithful in seeking God. I mean, that's the first thing. And I was sitting in that home church. It's home, it's not church building. It's an apartment. And this guy is with me. I mean, on his honeymoon, he's giving the Lord priority to worship he and his new wife, wow. his wife. Wow. And I'm with them. And I was asking God if what the preacher is saying is right, just prove it to me. I don't want to take a decision and then regret and leave then become kind of like, I don't believe in anything or whatever. I know, you know, you are there, but what's the way for you? If that's the way from you, just show it to me. I need to know it and I'm willing to follow. I know you are gonna help me, but, and at that time, everybody was like in prayer, it was quiet time. And the Lord talked to me in a voice. And I thought everybody heard that voice, wow. but nobody did, <laughs> but myself. And it was like in uh, in my language, Arabic, it's one word, but in English, it's three words. It's, it was, I love you. <laughs> wow. And they said, is that you? You know, but nobody, I opened my eyes, nobody listened to that voice but me. 
it was really like you, know, you can nobody's listening but me so is that, is that you talking to me and the voice came again I love you and that was the missing link in the Islamic faith if God they say God is merciful in Islam but he never proved that he's merciful like somebody's engaged and he never brought any gift to his fiance you know what I mean mm-hmm. so yeah. what what kind of love is that so like in the 99 names of, of Allah their love is not one of them it's merciful but not love you know mm-hmm. love it's the extra step you know mm-hmm. where you give without expecting to take Mm. And what does God want to expect to take from us? We're sinners. Mm. So he gave everything, you know, he gave his son for us. And uh, that makes the missing link in Islam, which is love. Mm-hmm. Because he loved us, he sent Jesus for us. It makes the whole sense. So immediately I felt I'm a different person from inside, energetic. And I ran out from the church to the street want to tell everybody what I found, the treasure that I found. And uh, that gentleman followed me immediately to see why he's running out. You know, I brought him with my car. I I was a student. Yeah. You know, I don't (laughs) have a car or any way of transportation. (laughs) So I want to bring him. Where's he going? You know, like, yeah. And I went to the first, I found a lady asking for money in the street. Like she's in poor situation. And I started telling her about Jesus and he grabbed me from my clothes, he said, like, get into the car now. You can't do that in this country. Mm. You'll be in jail, and I'll be in jail too. From that day, I knew there's a treasure, and this treasure should be shared oh, with others. Yeah. You know, whatever the cost is, we should find a way to share this treasure, Jesus Christ. I That's amazing. That. I, I love it. I think it's amazing. You mentioned that the Lebanese Civil War was sort of the that's created the tension that began that journey. And that's actually where Amel's story also began, um, who we've talked to on this podcast. And so it's amazing that in that uh, terrible, bloody tragedy that God was working in your life and working in Amel's life. Samar, uh, you grew up in a Christian home, similar to Salam, but more evangelical no traditional. no no traditional church yeah. tell us about that I'm the same I lived in a city with the majority it's it's a small city that the majority of the people were from traditional churches and uh, actually the missionaries from uh, America they came to this city and they had a hospital they had a school and they built it a uh, school, hospital, and a church. So I had this um, inside of me. I used to go. My dad was uh, Greek Orthodox. My mom was Catholic. Mm-hmm. And here I was going to the uh, evangelical church. So I had this struggle inside of me that there must be someone is right. Like. What's the start praying to the Lord? I want to know you. I want to hear from you. So as a child, I started going to the Sunday school and then uh, joined the church, but still didn't have the peace that I really needed from the Lord. Uh, and that during that time, 
uh, we didn't have many converts in churches. Like Muslims mm. go to mosque, Christians go to churches. And uh, so that's why it was a big struggle inside of me. When we got married, and I know that's his heart, he wanted to reach Muslims. For me, it was, you know, how do you, you know, do you really believe that they can change? And, you know, we started the journey from there. I started seeing really Muslims coming, loving the Lord more, even more than Christians. So one time during a uh, conference, one of the church conferences, uh, the, uh, the same pastor that Salam heard the message from about the love of God, I've heard it. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, th that wow. day I accepted the Lord. And as he said, the joy I had, it was amazing. That's and amazing. Started just wanting to serve the Lord from day one. But mainly my my ministry was in the church and at the school. I worked at the school as mm -hmm. a teacher there. And then uh, so that's my love. My zeal was just to to get the gospel out and to help at the church. Mm. Wow. Do, do you remember when that preacher, first of all, that guy has a great batting average. <laughs> um, but do you, do you remember what it sort of was that like clicked, um, that I guess made you want to take that step of faith or begin following Jesus? The glitch was the love of God, and mm. it's not the work, the deeds. That's mm. the problem. Like, we used to go to the other churches, and I don't want to say anything, but it's all on deeds. If you are mm. a good person, if you come to church Sunday, if you do this and that, and that will lead you to heaven. But for me, it didn't make sense. You know, there is this void inside of you that there is something more than going and doing good stuff. You know, yeah. and so the love of Jesus, that's really what what touched my heart. Like, you know, made a big difference. And starting to read the Bible, having Bible studies, that helped a lot. Made uh -huh. me understand more that this is the relation I want with God. And, and started from there praying that when I get married, I want a guy that loves you and he really wants to serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. This is the only one I want. Wow. So Salam and Samar both came from Christian backgrounds, but they did not truly know Jesus as their Lord and Savior until they had both encountered other Christians and learned more about the love of Christ. For each of them, it was this love that compelled them to become Christians. I'd love to talk about your ministry together, serving in your home country now. Um, I, I want the audience to hear a story about why you had to leave your home country uh, prior to 9-11. Most of the governments in the Middle East, as the Bible says, the governments are from God, appointed by God mm. to give peace, give security to people, and that's what we really need to live in. The challenge comes from the majority people. The governments want to maintain that peace, but the majority is not happy with the minorities. Mm. In the way, and they think they are right. And in this instance, you mean that the majority Muslim governments dislike and even persecute Christians and other religious minorities. They don't want to listen to the other. They don't recognize the other. And in many of those countries, they say, are there like Arab Christians? Yes, of course they do. Mm. Yeah. 
before Islam came. I mean, it was the whole areas were having many Christians in mm-hmm. there, Jews were living there, you know, different religions before before Islam came in. But now is, uh, they forgot the history. They said, no, we are the majority. So you should be like a kind of a wicked teaching you have, you know, infidels, you're unclean, all this teaching about Christianity. And uh, reaching the majority is risky by the majority themselves more than the governments. Mm-hmm. The governments want to maintain the balance. So there's no friction that happens mm-hmm. between the two faiths or uh, people wouldn't attack each other and cause violence and insecurity in the country. That's their major concern. So they want to stop any kind of uh, meetings with, you know, with the religions together or like discussions, mm-hmm. dialogues. They are not with it. Anything that could cause a holy war needs to be stopped. Yes. So the government will make it difficult for people of different religions to meet each other because they're afraid of what will happen. They want to maintain the balance, the peace between the groups. And the way they do that is by keeping them apart and separate. Yes. And they say, you don't know the people you're meeting with. Because, you know, once I was working in in media and, you know, broadcasting our phone number on the air and Mm -hmm. uh, a group of people called us. That's one of the examples. And uh, they said, we are a group of this Islamic party and it's a fanatic party. I know that very well. And we have questions about the Christian faith. And for me, you know, God gave me the boldness, you know, to I... I feel that all people are born equal. They should have the same rights and we should love each other, actually. We shouldn't hate each other. Mm. said, of course, gladly, you know, come and we'll meet. We started meeting in in church and uh, six of them came, those people. And I have three other friends with me whom we are interested in the Islamic faith, Muslims faith and the dialogue thing. We know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And we started, yes, of course, some of those people were really sorry to say it but they were brainwashed it's like they don't accept anything it's like they have a blockage around their way of thinking or brains and the others are asking questions back and forth but we have like respect in those meetings nobody's insulting anyone full respect we'll discuss topics like the grace of god the love of god the forgiveness mm-hmm. of god so how do we think about those issues? And that's how we presented Christ to them. But during those conversations, one of those guys became a terrorist later. He joined uh, Al-Qaeda, uh, Osama bin Laden, and running he, Al-Qaeda. And he was fighting in Iraq, wow. actually. He was the head of Al-Qaeda in Iraq. Oh, he was the head. Mm. Yeah, he was the head. Mm. Wow. And uh, he was killed later mm. by the, our, the American troops in there. And... Uh, but those meetings were stopped by the government of that country. Hmm. They came to you. They came to me. They said, do you know whom you're meeting with? I said, yes, I know. Of course, I know. They said, you shouldn't meet with them. I said, why? I said, they are very dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, even the government cannot handle them properly. So mm-hmm. you don't have the ability to handle them. And uh, actually, we've been following them and we found them in your place. So... Why are they doing what? How many times you met with them? I said like about six times, hmm. you know, and those meetings were stopped. Okay. But we reached a stage where on Christmas, they'll call us and wish us a Merry Christmas. Wow. So we reached a kind of stage and one of the guys who's the youngest among them called me and said, were those meetings stopped because of the government? I said, yes. 
So I can't, you know, but tell him the truth. Yeah. He said, actually, it was my pleasure getting to know you. You are good people. So I wish for all of them, you know, to know the Lord at that time. Wow. But this guy became an extremist. And I was in the States here when I saw how, you know, uh, he was ambushed, he and his group, and he was killed. Mm. And I was crying on the TV. Man. And everybody saying, you know, this, this he's a devil, you know, like he's an evil person, you know. It's good this happened. I said, no, it's not good because he could have been saved. Golly. It's not good. You know, it's not good at all. You know what I mean? So the government regimes is like trying to maintain this balance and they know really what's what's going yeah. on, really, how dangerous it is. But still, when you step further, you can save somebody. You step further into this mine land, but you can save someone there. Yeah. Yeah. Salam, I think people are probably listening. And to think that you cried over the death of a terrorist is hard to understand. And it speaks to the depth of love that you have for the Muslim people. That you so want them to know Christ. That you're so broken over the fact that he died in his sin. He died, you know, we don't know exactly what happened in the latter minutes of his life, but we presume that he died as an enemy of God. But I, I think some people may find it kind of hard to get their arms around the yeah. the degree to which you love these people and, and want to see them come to, to know Christ. I mean, if I was born into this family, this radical family, I might end the same like him. You know mm. I mean? So I put myself in his shoes for some time. So everybody should be given an opportunity hmm. you know I mean he was given the opportunity but if we extended it more the Lord knows better than yeah. us you know I can't yeah. think too much about it but it is sad to see somebody dying away from the real God yes you know and uh, thinking that God hates others and he wants to kill others and God wants to save everybody he doesn't want anybody to be killed hmm. so he died with this mentality that he wants to kill others hmm. Well, it's the opposite. He didn't understand God right. Correct. Sad. Wow. Yeah, that's really sad. That that particular incident, witnessing to these six men and the government saying no, do not, do not continue to to have to meet with them and follow up with them, that precipitated your having to leave your home country. Tell us, Salam and Samar, what 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 happened? Why you had to leave? What what? Yeah. yeah. After those incidents, I mean, the government started talking to me more. I mean, the police and security in the country. And one time they asked me to come to report to the police department. And they said, we captured the guy. And in his confession, you know, he has to fill like pages and pages of whatever he's, it's, uh, is on his mind, names and people. And your name was there on his list. He wants to get rid of you. Oh, wow. And immediately I asked, I need to see him now in his cell. And I want to explain to him that I don't hate him. Why does he hate me? He said, no, you cannot see him at all. I said, but it's, isn't it my right to see him and change his mind setting, you know, how his, his mind is set? said, no, but you're playing with the fire. So we cannot protect you a lot. Salam and Samar's willingness to talk to everyone about Jesus, even terrorists, began to put them in very dangerous situations where they could no longer be protected. After that, 
another report from the police. They asked me immediately to report to the police station, and they said, uh, we captured a tourist that he wanted to kidnap your daughter while the bus, school bus was dropping here at school. Wow. She was a first grader, six years old. Mm. And they said, we captured the guy in time. And now we're going to tell you, you are on your own. We left the security of you. We're not going to protect you anymore. So we are following you. We've been watching your home, your office, your church, just to protect you. But this is the cost of dealing with radical groups in the country. We know you're not involved. You know you are patriotic. You love your country. You pray for your country. You pray for your rulers. But that's the consequences, and you have to face it. At that time, I mean, we flew to the United States of America, and we got naturalized here after six years. But 9-11 took place during those two years, made things, you know, more late in the process. And mm. What was it like? Um, tell us a bit about life. We won't probably say the, the city where you live, but we'll say the southeast. <clears throat> what was it like living in the southeast of the United States? The south is a blessed area in the United States. <laughs> you see many Christians, you see many crosses, many churches. You see many people going to churches on Sunday. And you can feel the majority of people have this Christian culture. A respect, I mean, the way people drive, <laughs> the way people stand in line, you know, the rights, people respect the rights of others. And uh, mm. it's just being nice. It's, it's the, cult, the Bible culture. When people are nice, that means the Bible is penetrated into their lives. I know not everyone is like this, but the majority are. Mm. And we were blessed like to go to a church, you know, it was big church for us. Mm-hmm. Like about 4,000 members. We're used to a church with 100 num- member at the most mm-hmm. where we, we came from. And, uh, but we felt the, how kind people are. And actually, you know, I felt that they are living too much in a peaceful life compared to my life. And uh, they sleep peacefully, they walk up peacefully. I mean, while where I came from, there's no peace because of this kind of friction between religions all the time. Mm. So, I mean, people who are in the, in the southern part of the United States, at least, mm. they are blessed. Yeah. D- did you face any, like, prejudice or rudeness or anything surrounding 9-11? Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I, like, yeah. when, when this happened, and we we just been in the country for... A year, so we would go to the st- store, and everybody's looking us, you know, just like, "What are you doing here? Oh. Why are you here?" It's like we're terrorists, <laughs> and we're thinking, "Oh my goodness, doesn't these people know that we are Christians?" That mm-hmm. we and many of the people, they just in their back in their head that there are no uh, Christians in the Middle East. That most all people are Muslim. Mm-hmm. background and the fact is no that we we say christian for any kind of the difference is this uh, when you say christian in the middle east that means you're either catholic you're either uh, greek orthodox evangelical christian because yeah. your dad and your family is a christian you are a christian and it used to be where they would write on your id uh, a religion. What's your religion? Oh wow! So uh, 
it was really very hard when this took place it was even like we would go to church and we the different places we go we really felt that with the kids at school the same mm. so and inside of us you know i don't blame the people because you know they didn't know like they didn't know that we are christians we love jesus we're not like this but just the color of the skin would would show that you the are language, you and know. the accent anything mm. you know we did at the mm. like for a few months we even longer than a few months, it, we could feel the difference. You know, one thing I've never known is how you actually got here. What what did you use a visa, a, a religious worker visa? What, oh, what, was his, the, what was the purpose of, how did you? Uh, my parents were here, living here before me. So it's the process, they applied for me. I had my green card ready with me. Then I applied for my wife. And when this thing happened, the threat of uh, this group Kidnap, want to kidnap my daughter. We're about to kidnap her, and uh, the visa of Mar uh, Samar came in the right time for immigration, mm. and it was the Lord's timing. Yeah, in here. But I mean, when we came here, when this 9/11th happened, I mean, I my boss at work told me uh, when you go to the uh, if you go to the mall, try to avoid the malls, don't speak in your Arabic language at all. You know, mm. and then I called my pastor at church. Said, "Shall I come Sunday to church?" He said, "Are you crazy? Of course you come. Of no. course you come. You are Christians." Good. He said, "But people might like mix things together, because the day I went to work, I found the staff, you know, and my colleagues, uh, you know, gathering around the small TV screen, and watching the hit of the first, the first uh, tower, build the tower yeah. in New York." And I said, wow, that's that's a war. Where is it happening? He said, it's here, it's here in, in the United States. I said, here, you know, so the war is following me, you know what I mean? And then the other building got hit, you know, while watching. No, and they were like so sad. I was living in war. So maybe I am like kind of cold-blooded <laughs> against war. But then I saw those innocent people, they were going to work and they hit them. Mm. That's too much. That's rudeness. That's rudeness, you know, it should stop. But for me, the honest truth, it was an awakening hmm. for the general Americans. Yeah. That there is an enemy of your faith and freedom. So maybe it's the time to wake up. Yeah. And, uh, and after that, I mean, more mission work was, you know, uh, enhanced hmm. to reach out for those people. Yeah. What was it like for you? You, I mean, you clearly had a heart for Muslim people, yes. um, even the, you know, extremist people. And then shortly after coming to America, that happens. And there's like a very, very strong prejudice against the Middle East and, and Muslims. And um, definitely no love for your enemies or any of that sort of in the cultural air. Um what was it like for you to have a heart for these people uh, in a nation that was very, you know, aggressively against those people um, while also, you know, having a sense of gratitude for being in America that you expressed? How did that all, um, how did you walk through that? You mean the States or in my home, home country? 
Uh, in the States. In the States. No, I, I felt like, you know, I need to tell them that I'm different, first of all, that I'm Christian. Yeah. And I faced a lot of challenges before when I lived in my hometown. And, uh, but, you know, that's a test of love. Do you love your enemies or not? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, we passed this test <laughs> before, <laughs> before, you know, the American people here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we start telling them, you know, just uh, get to know them. And I, I found like even the church ser- services were like some of them were about what Muslims believe in, what's the difference between Muslims and Christianity, what's missing in the Islamic faith, you know, and all that stuff, which is really was very good, was very good. And uh, I started like telling people that, you know, we have a call to go back and serve in our country. And now they uh, appreciate this, you know, that what we are doing is like really a big sacrifice. Mm. Those people ran for their lives came to the States and now they are thinking of going back uh, to serve. So they feel the furnace, the fire, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah, we want even Americans to serve Muslims in the States. That's yeah. our, you know, our heart. You, 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 I remember talking to you about the zeal that you had for sharing the gospel, not just in, in your home country, but when you got to the United States and you began sharing in your workplace, which was a a hospital of sorts, right? Yeah. Uh, tell us about what that was like, um, that yeah. experience. I was doing an administrative work, but you know, some of those uh, people under rehabilitation, they would come to me and they knew I'm Christian, you know, so I was praying with them. Some of them I'm sharing with them the hope and because I don't think there's any other hope outside, you know, God himself, you know. Yeah. And uh, a, a colleague, my, my, my best friend at work, he came to me and he said like, you know, I'm Christian and I used to be committed. I'm not now. And I encouraged him to go back to church, of course, and <laughs> said like, okay, wh- what's your advice? He said, no, you can't, you can't uh, pray with people. I said, I'm doing this on my uh, lunch break, actually. I'm not using the work hours. So I'm faithful to my employer. Mm-hmm. He said, still like, you know, it can be like you're guiding people to Christ. You know, I know what you do. I know you love people and you talk to them and uh, they are comfortable with you. But I said, so what will happen? So why, why you're like, you know, giving me this advice? I said, like, what's the worst thing could happen? Mm-hmm. I said, you'll be fired from work. I said, that's it? <laughs> <laughs> Compared to where I came from, yeah. I mean, you might be killed, you know? <laughs> so really, so you want to stop sharing the gospel because you might be fired? That's nothing, you know I mean? What mm. a punishment is that? It's nothing really, you know? It's, the <laughs> cost is very little yeah. compared to, yeah. Wow. Samar, what, uh, we've heard a lot from Salam about leaving your home country, but uh, Salam's kind of a refugee, right? He's not from originally from the home country no. we're talking about, but you, this was your home home country where you were born and raised. I mean, what was, what was it like to leave all that you knew to come to the U.S.? Uh, it was, I would say, the hardest time of our life, uh, mainly because we didn't want to leave. We were in ministry. We were doing ministry all over church, uh, through media, meeting people, visiting. And out of nowhere, we're in a place where we have to leave the country. It's not something that we really wanted to do. I know, like, it's a privilege to move to America. You know, this is the dreamland for everybody. But for us, the thing was, we really didn't want to leave. We yeah. were happy with what we we're doing. We were satisfied. 
So when we came, uh, I would say the first six months, I remember every single day we would, at night, when we go to bed, we start crying, both of us. Mm. And the question for the Lord was, Lord, why did we do something wrong? Was there anything that we've done that we, you know, just anything wrong? Never got the answer back Mm. until later, you know, after the, after eight years, actually, when we left the country and we had the American passport and we came to a ministry where we needed those American passports to go back and witness in countries that we wouldn't be allowed to go if we didn't have the American passport. But during the, the process, we couldn't see it. But the thing that I will never forget that during that time, the hardest time of our life, honestly, it was like somebody is hugging. His his arm was around us. Mm. Like you would feel it, you know, that we're in his arms. You know, he's taking care of us. Yes, we are crying, but we know he's there. So it was a big challenge at, at the beginning. Then, you know, from day one, we started going to church and, you know, the hard thing was too that we go to a church, it's a big church. We don't know anybody. For about six months, people were very nice, just smiling in our faces. Good morning, how are you? <laughs> Take the children to Sunday school. But to really know somebody or someone to even invite us for a meal. We're coming from, you know, the culture, the Arabic culture is very much into, you're invited to lunch, yeah, to dinner, very culture, yeah. you know, very, I don't know, warm culture. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And yeah, yeah. So it was a challenge until the day we were really crying outside the church and out of nowhere, a lady came and she said, guys, would you like, we've seen you. It was six months. Been coming to church, would you like to come for lunch with us? Mm. And that minute we both cried. We said, oh. okay, Lord, now you're looking. We're here, we're... So it was really, it was rough, but a great experience to learn a lot of lessons, you know. And from there we went into, started seeing the freedom that America has, the freedom that the church has. And something inside of me just wanted to tell the people, guys, you have a lot. God blessed you with so many things that we don't have. Even simple things, a dryer, a a washer, hot water, you know, it's cold and you're not freezing. You have heaters inside. So I felt like this is the mission that I really want the Americans to know. So, you know, they can love God more, put more into reaching other people and just enjoy the freedom that they have, especially in talking to others, like Salam said, Mm. you know, you can go and just share the gospel and you're not in danger. Mm. When I would see people praying at the restaurant, that that used to fill our heart with joy. You know, you couldn't do it in where we are. You can't, you know, you know, now, now I think it's a bit easier. You can do it, but there were times that, you know, it's not, this is not usual. Well, I hope you were edified and encouraged and challenged by this conversation with Salam and Samar. Once again, I know that I really was. And 
It was just such a, a worshipful reminder that where there is no church yet, where there are no scriptures yet, the Holy Spirit steps in and intervenes out of his great mercy. And it's just a great reminder that, you know, Josh, despite the work that I do, the work that you do, it is the spirit of God that builds the church. And, you know, we're just, we're just day laborers. <laughs> so no doubt. And I think I, we should all be encouraged by the faithful obedience of, of people like Salam and Samar. And they are a critical part of our team. Uh, without them, uh, a lot of the countries that spoke off of what where they are located would not exist. And so uh, they are a part of the Help the Persecuted team. And to learn more about our team, you can go to htp.org. And you can even support uh, Salam and Samar and the work that we're doing at, uh, at that website.